Howard, have you ever been working on a project and wish that you had an autosave feature or something that was automatically backing files up to your hard drive? Maybe then you wouldn't lose an hour or two or something like that of work that you you spent so much tender, loving care to create. You know, it feels like it was just yesterday. Yeah, well, it, it was just <laughs> yesterday. <laughs> uh, well, hello everyone. I'm Howard Pinsky, and I'm still waking up. But welcome to the first ever episode of We Geeks, a podcast from myself and Nathaniel Dodson, all about photo, design, and just general geekery. How's it going, Nathaniel? Pretty good. And uh, the the kind of fun thing that we're doing here is we're not together for this podcast. You're, you're just waking up because you're out there basically on the West Coast, out in the, the Rocky Mountains, and I'm out here near Philadelphia, so it's, it's lunchtime for me here. Um, and we're going to, you know doing this thing sort of over Skype, but with a super high quality little trick that we're doing um, to be able to record it sort of together. And uh, we're going to give it a run and see how it goes. As long as the audio doesn't cut out again. As long <laughs> as the audio doesn't cut out. <laughs> That's right. So this is take two, if you're watching and f- trying to figure out what's going on. We actually recorded last night, probably, well, at your time, it was almost one o'clock in the morning. Yeah, it was pretty late. And about an hour in, maybe 50 minutes in, my audio recording application just decided, you know, I don't like this audio. It's not going well. I'm gonna crash. As as the right as the best audio recording applications so often do. <laughs> yeah, really. <laughs> so if you're wondering what this is, this is actually our third attempt at a podcast, which sounds insane. But four years ago, actually four years ago yesterday, we were hyping up what we called hardly relevant, which turned out to be very hardly relevant. We had mm-hmm. one episode, or was it two episodes? I think we only ever did one episode, one. and. It was actually a good episode, but we both ran into real life things. I got a job somewhere and you had a ton of photography work going on. And then we decided to create another podcast two years later. And that was a video podcast on YouTube. And we just called it the Howard and Nathaniel show or something like that. And that actually did well. We had about 10 episodes, maybe even, even more. And and then I got another job and you ran into more photography work. So we kind of put things on hold. But yeah, we basically just didn't we just didn't really stick to either of them as well as we should have. But this this should be the one that sticks. We're kind of boiling it down, making it basic and just bringing it back to just audio to start. And then maybe later on, we'll introduce a video aspect to it. Um, and I mean, that would be the goal and just build it up into something that's really cool and that everybody loves a lot. Yeah, we have a lot of experience on what works and what doesn't work and I'm now working from home again. You're kind of working from home. I mean, you kind of have this marriage thing that you're doing in a few months or something. Whatever, whatever that is. What kind of excuse is that? But you know, we're gonna we're gonna we're in this for the long run. We're gonna do this every single week. So make sure to subscribe on SoundCloud, email, head over to the WeGeeksPodcast.com, which you knows is made by Squarespace. And thank you, Squarespace, for sponsoring this episode and eventually we're going to have an itunes podcast we're trying to figure out how exactly that works and apple has to approve it or something but yeah we're, we're setting all that up and it'll be something where every every friday a new episode is going to come out and if you're subscribed via email obviously you'll get an email saying hey the new podcast is here check it out and uh yeah that's it's it's nice and simple easy easy does it right so I have uh, here in my hands my notes, and um, we're going to kick it off with some geek and design and photo news. We're going to try to have a geek design photo news segment each week, as well as questions and answers, and then you know some sort of issue that we're going to talk about 
and bounce back and forth and eventually interviews and things like that will also kick in. So for Geek Voter News of the Week, the, sort of the big news, and we're going to touch on it a lot later on, but just to let everybody know that it's out there, this company called Affinity has released a photo editor, and it's not their first application uh, that they've released, but basically this photo editor, it's the first really truly feature-rich and possibly competitive toward Photoshop kind of photo editing program. Uh, now it's Mac only. A lot of people are saying, hey, could this be a viable replacement for Photoshop? Could this be a Photoshop killer? All of these things like that. Um, like I said, it is on the Mac, so if you're on Windows, you can't really download it and check it out. It is in beta, and I believe, Howard, you can download that for free. You can. I have actually been using it over the last few days. Someone brought it to my attention. And again, we're going to talk about this later, but there have been a few quote-unquote Photoshop killers out there. There's GIMP, which is available for free. There's Pixelmator, which is, again, another Mac application. And now there's Affinity Photo, which, yeah, we'll, we'll talk about this later, but it's very feature heavy. And it's, you know, it, it could give Photoshop a run for its money. Yeah, I mean, one of the things that I saw that immediately caught my attention was, I mean, it's a beautiful interface. It seems to have a lot of the tools. This company, Affinity, has created other fairly robust applications. I mean, they're Affinity designer. They basically bill as a, uh, a mixture of Photoshop and Illustrator and Adobe Acrobat with all of its PDF-making magic. Um, so that's kind of cool. And it's 50 bucks. It's, there's no subscription. You don't need to worry about anything like that. So that's really fantastic. That's kind of cool. Uh, you can check it out, affinity.serif.com, um, and then look to like the top right of the screen, and there's a, a button to download the beta of Affinity Photo. Uh, so yeah, something definitely worth checking out. And again, we'll touch on it and talk about it a little bit more later, um, but definitely an interesting, interesting application and potentially an interesting alternative to Photoshop. Oh, totally. But in some crazy, crazy news, actually yesterday, Facebook released this new feature going totally off topic, unless you're killing yourself over uh, $50 applications or something. Yeah, no pun intended. <laughs> no pun intended. Facebook released a new feature called Legacy Contact. And over the last few years, Facebook has obviously been dealing with the question, what happens when a Facebook user dies? Wow, <clears throat> I kind of choked on my coffee. I may, have to, yeah. I may have to use this feature very soon. Yeah, set me up as your legacy contact. <laughs> yeah, so the question is, what happens to a Facebook profile when that person dies? Well, they have a, a sort of an answer. They have a new feature called Legacy Contact that allows you to assign a contact that will take over your account so they can post on your profile. They can respond to friend requests, which is very creepy, after you die. And you don't really have to, well, obviously you can't tell Facebook that you've died, but they don't need proof that you died. Someone just has to fill out a form letting Facebook know that, well, this person has passed away and whoever is assigned as that legacy contact will take over that account. Yeah, so that's kind of crazy. I mean, so not only is Facebook going to be with you through your life, but now they're going to be with you through your death and let the let the conspiracies rain down as far as what that is. But yeah, I mean, I think it's, it is kind of interesting. Do they want a death certificate? What do they want to really prove that you're dead? Or is it just a matter of saying like, hey, I'm Jack, Johnson's mom and uh, he got into a car accident and he's dead, you know, or whatever. And hopefully there's nobody named Jack Johnson listening. Well, knowing Facebook, they'll, <laughs> they'll just know. You'll just die and then within two seconds, they'll just, you know, get a notification that you're dead. Facebook might <laughs> notify you before you even know that you're going to die. Within five minutes, your time's up. Son. It'll be an event on your calendar. But, but yeah, no, I mean, it's definitely interesting. I mean, it's an interesting conundrum. Definitely the epitome of a first world problem, right? Because... 
uh, what do I do with my social media account after I die, uh, sipping a frappuccino that's far too hot while riding my bike down, you know, the artsy neighborhood with skinny jeans on. Uh, well, this is so, this yeah. is really this this is even creepier. One of the um, little notes below this says your legacy contact won't be notified until your account is memorialized. So I can so technically assign a random person on my friends list to be my legacy contact. I die, and then they get a notification saying, "Well, Howard's dead, but now you can take over his account." Yeah, so it's like the the best birthday gift ever, right? Yeah, <laughs> really. Well, it depends who it is, I guess. Yeah. So speaking of birthday gifts, you just got a new little piece of tech um, that sort of is going to bring up a whole bunch of new technical stuff uh, as far as photo and video is concerned. I did. Actually, my birthday's on Sunday, so I bought myself a little bit of a birthday present. I got myself a 4K monitor, finally. I've, been, I've had my Mac Pro for, oh gosh, two, three months now, and I've been using just a standard 1920 by 1080 monitor, and I never really realized how many pixels could fit onto a monitor until I got this 4K monitor. I got the Samsung 28 inch something, something, something that RC from Kelby One introduced me to at Photoshop World. And man, this thing, I'm just looking at it now. The text is, it's delicious. That's all I can describe it as. It's popping. That's pretty cool. So you said it's a Samsung. What'd you pay for it? I, I believe I got it on Amazon for about 450, which is really decently priced compared to other monitors out there. There are a few downsides and I do have a full review on my website, iceflowstudios.com. This monitor in specific, you can't turn or rotate. You can only tilt a little bit, but I mean for $450, if all you need is a monitor that sits on your desk and stares directly at you, it's, it's a heck of a deal. I just need a glowing rectangle. That's all I need. I don't need it to turn on its exactly. side when I lay down and go to sleep at night or anything like that. Um, so that's pretty cool. I, I remember uh, Cyber Monday, I believe it was, Dell had a 30-inch. I think it was 4K. I'm almost I certain it was 30-inch. So. Um, but the, th the the feature that I remember or the, the aspect of it, I should say, that I remember was that it was like 300 bucks. It was dirt cheap. And I was looking at it and um, – as with all things, you get what you pay for. And I didn't buy one, but I was looking into it. And part of the big issue and part of the reason it was so inexpensive was that it was a very low, very low hertz refresh rate or refresh hertz rate or whatever the, the proper term is. It was like 30, um, 30 hertz or something for the refresh rates instead of 60 or 120 or something that these more higher, not even really higher end monitors, just uh, a competitive monitor, if you will, especially for people like, you know, Howard, like you doing the YouTube videos and the photo stuff and me doing the YouTube videos and the photo and video editing that I'm doing. Um, I need a monitor that's going to display video smoothly uh, with gaming, right? If you're doing any kind of gaming, you're going to want all the graphics and all of the animation and transition and things to really kind of, you know, be swishing and flowing back and forth, you know, very, very smoothly. Um, and a, a monitor with a very low refresh rate like that just isn't going to really do the trick. Yeah, I do remember that popping up during one of those sales, whatever it's Cyber Monday or Black Friday. And a lot of people were going crazy over this monitor. People were buying it left, right, and center, but not realizing that the refresh rate was only 30 hertz. And I think a lot of people don't really realize what that exactly is. And a personal example, this monitor here that I'm working on now, the 4K Samsung, when I originally got it, I hooked it up via HDMI to my Mac Pro, and for whatever annoying reason, when you hook it up via HDMI to a Mac Pro, it can only transmit at 30 hertz. 
and you can definitely tell the difference. The mouse, the cursor was lagging, the video playback was super choppy, and then finally I ordered from Amazon a DisplayPort to Mini DisplayPort cable, which allows 60 hertz, and the difference is just night and day. So even though you're paying $300 for this monitor, you're really not getting anything that's gonna perform at any decent level. You're gonna get very choppy photos or I guess videos and very choppy movement. It's probably not something that you want. It's better to spend an extra 150, 200 bucks on a monitor that does support 60 Hertz. Right, yeah, no, totally agree. And I guess now that you know we can record tutorials and things like that in 4K, uh, we're gonna have to start looking at 4K video cameras for real uh, for the intro and outro Ugh. portions of any kind Ugh, of tutorials. Don't even mention it. So I actually recorded, going back to Affinity Pro or Affinity Photo for a second, I recorded my first ever 4K, I almost wanna say Photoshop tutorial, but it's not a Photoshop tutorial. I recorded my first 4K tutorial. Of course, I had to put bracket 4k at the end of the title on youtube because that's what we do um, naturally but then i you know i had it on my computer in ScreenFlow. i took my video from my canon 60 threw it in and then i realized it was like one third the size because i think i recorded at 720 or maybe 1080 i don't know but it was tiny so now i have to either blow that video up which looks terrible put things around me which is very distracting or you know buy a 4k camera First world problems, right? Yeah, well, and uh, uh, speaking of 4K cameras, I mean, there are some great 4K cameras out there, and 4K is a little bit of uh, maybe a misunderstood thing, but um, Canon just released a couple new DSLRs. They're not really, I guess it wasn't Canon, it was more like they were rumored. Uh, so I shouldn't say Canon released, but it's being rumored, and it looks like uh, the announcements have been made, at least on two of the cameras, a 5DS and a 5DSR that uh, Canon has released. And we'll talk about the specs in just a second, but neither of them do have... 4K video <sighs> shooting capabilities. I know. It's, um, it's difficult to find a decent camera. And I mean, I kind of understand because 4K is somewhat new, especially in cameras and DSLRs and things like that. But I was so hoping that Canon's new, somewhat affordable DSLRs, I mean, they're not really affordable for the average person, but I was hoping that there would be at least 4K uh, video recording in those. Yeah, I mean these cameras. They're the the five DSR is about thirty nine hundred bucks on B and H, and the five DS is two hundred dollars less. But the interesting thing is, speaking of four K, is Canon does have a DSLR right now. The the EOS one D C, I believe it's called, uh, that they put out that they released some time ago. It's twelve thousand dollars, and it is a DSLR that shoots four K video. And right when the five DS and the five DSR got released. I don't know if it was just coincidence or an omen of what's to come in the 5D Mark IV. The price of that EOS 1DC dropped from $12,000 to $8,000. Oh, totally so affordable. A fourth, <laughs> yeah, for, I mean a $4,000 slash in price uh, just when these the, these cameras are coming out. Well, I mean the cameras are coming out in I think it's late March, early April is the projected date. And then the, the Canon 5D Mark IV is rumored for something like August. So I mean if, if you have 4K by then in, in a somewhat more affordable camera, certainly a camera that's less than eight or $12,000, that's great. Um, this EOS 1DC does, it shoots 4K, uh, maxes out at about 24 frames per second or at 24 frames per second, I should say for the 4K. Uh, but I think part of the reason that the 5DS and the 5DSR don't shoot 4K is they have a 50 megapixel 
uh, full frame sensor. And to push that 4K resolution, you know, through this 50 megapixel sensor is huge. Um, it's it's just a lot. I have a lot of mixed feelings about this. First of all, <clears throat> 50 megapixels, at least for me, and even maybe for you who does pretty much photography for a living, I don't really see much of a need for it. I would rather Canon say, you know what, we're going to just bump it to 30 mega megapixels, maybe 35 megapixels, but we'll give you 4K video recording. Because, you know, the whole 50, the whole megapixel war is a little bit crazy. And I'll let you kind of go into it a little bit. As a photographer, do you really see much of a need for 50 megapixels? Well, I mean, it's... Canon obviously has a reason for picking out 50 megapixels. Um, and it's really it's really like 53 megapixels, but it ends up being like 50.6. They say it is usable megapixels or whatever the, the correct term is. And I know if you recall a little while ago, a couple of years ago, Canon released the 1DX. And the 1DX was only, I think, 18.1 megapixels or something like that. And the whole reasoning behind it was the size of the photo frame was going to be the same size I can't remember if it was 2.5K or a 4K video. That's 18 megapixels. So they were sort of driving this obviously still camera in a, in a much more video-centric direction. So when you're talking about the sensor size with relation to video, it, it does matter a little bit. I'm not going to necessarily get into all of it here. Um, but as far as the image is concerned, I mean, you don't really need 50 megapixels, but that's also like telling somebody in 1995, you're never going to need more than 256K of hard drive space. <laughs> that's true. Right? It's crazy because someday we'll need more and more and more and more. I really think because this camera doesn't have 4K, I think this is sort of Canon saying, look, we're just going to create a really, really high quality still camera um, and not really focus necessarily on video. You obviously still have your full 1080p HD video recording up to 30 frames per second on the 5DS or the 5DSR, which is great. Now, Nikon, uh, the Nikon D750, I believe it is, shoots at 60 frames per second if you want. Um, but again, you're not really going to use 60 frames per second unless you have something you know you want to sort of slow down. Um, typically, you're not really going to shoot uh, at above like 30 frames per second. I mean, they're like a lot of those cheap Spanish afternoon sitcoms, like they have that really weird look and it's because they shoot at those really ridiculously high frame rates. Um, so it's got that stuff. But uh, the 5DSR, and I'm, I'll circle back around to our point here, the difference between the 5DS and the 5DSR looks like the 5DSR for $200 more is just a more refined camera. It's supposed to produce greater detail um, because it has this thing that they're calling a low-pass filter effect cancellation or low-pass low pass effect filtering device or something uh, where they're getting rid of this low-pass effect Um and it's going to, or I'm assuming they're getting rid of low pass effect. I'm sorry, I should say it's just called a low pass filter effect. Um, but it's supposed to promise greater detail in the finished images and really allow you to take advantage of this massive sensor that they have in this camera. Uh, but there is a great a greater risk of what's called moir, uh, which is spelled M O I R E. If you want to Google it and look it up, but it's essentially this really kind of digital banding. If you see it, you'll know exactly what it is. Um, so there's a greater risk of that. Um, and essentially, Canon recommends with the 5DSR, this is the more expensive of the cameras, because of this greater risk of more, just make sure you have you know good noise reduction capability uh, if you need it and things like that, which sounds terrifying. It, <laughs> it sounds does. really... I don't know how you spin that from a PR standpoint, but that's that's sort of what they. In fact, if you go look at the the product page on B and H, I think they say something about having noise reduction or noise uh, canceling or something in 
no joke, the first paragraph of the product description. So just interesting the way they're they're sort of branding that. But they're promising that it's going to have greater detail and, and things like that than the 5DS. So for 200 bucks more, I would probably go with the 5DSR and just check it out. Again, I feel like I can take care of the other stuff I work in, for the most part, controlled enough environments that I don't have to worry about additional banding and noise and things like that. Um, but it'll be, it would be interesting to see a, a straight up comparison between the two cameras and maybe I'll have to get them and, and give that a shot. Uh, both have compact flash SD cards, all that kind of stuff. Um, and pretty much the, you know, they, they both boast the great focusing system that got put into really began in the seven D and then matured its way up through the five D Mark three and the six D and everything like that. Canon for years was way behind Nikon as far as just plain old focusing was considered. And they're finally doing an amazing job with all the new focusing stuff. So that's great. Um, yeah, and that's that's kind of it. Um, so I think I think the 50 megapixel sensor is really to try to compete with the resolution of medium format cameras. Um, because this, the 5DS is very obviously not a consumer level camera at almost 4,000 bucks. They're targeting for you know professionals and maybe even you could argue lower level to middling middle level professionals from a budget standpoint. Um, and a lot of those people know about these medium format cameras and people who don't understand really what a medium format camera is and the difference in sensors are going to look at something and say, oh, I can get 50 megapixels with my Canon DSLR. Why do I need to pay $40,000 for a, a 65 megapixel phase one when for $3,900 I can get a 50.6 megapixel Canon? Um, you know, failing to see things like depth of field and sharpness and, and the difference in bokeh and just the, the cinematic nature of your full frame cameras in general. Um, so... You know, that they, they look good. They look interesting. I'll be interested to see what the 5D Mark IV is. Um, Canon has sort of fallen short for the last few releases, though. But, I mean, is it Canon and Nikon falling short, or are we just getting pickier and pickier and pickier with each of these releases? Because you look around online, and, and the every one of these forums, it's, oh, Canon, Nikon, Canon, Nikon. We They've done this. They've done that. And then it devolves into the Internet thing, and somebody's, you know, a, a douchebag before you know it. Um, and, 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 yeah, the Internet happens. And all this fight is now coming into the world of mobile phones. We have the iPhone that shoots only at 8 megapixels, and we have the new Samsung cameras or the Samsung phones, which have, what, 16 or 20 megapixels, and they have a new one coming out in just a few weeks. And... And a lot of the press that surrounds this phone, they're saying that the megapixels are going to be so much bigger. And they've actually had, they showed a progression of what their cameras on their mobile phones look like. And the main spec they focused on has been megapixels. They showed it went from like four to eight to 16. Now it's going to be like 22 or something like that, which really brings us back to the question, are those megapixels really needed? One thing I love about the iPhone 6 and the iPhone 6 Plus, even though it's eight megapixels, which means my photo isn't going to be as large as, you know, let's say the Samsung Galaxy S 107, whatever it is, or the Windows Lumia, that 40 megapixel phone. Yeah, that 40 the, megapixel bomb, you mean? Yeah, really, that, that did very well. The depth of field and the color and the low light capability on the iPhone is going to be much better than some of the other competitors because the sensor is a little bit bigger. They spent more time not focusing on the megapixels, but on the other aspects of the camera that really matters. Right. I mean, uh, it, it is annoying because megapixels are far, far, far from the only thing that matters. I mean, obviously, you want some megapixels so you have some size to your image, of course. 
Um, but give me low light capability. Give me better noise control. Give me better sharpness. Give me finely tuned sensors. Give me better features on the camera. Um, and I don't mean gimmicky BS features like all these picture styles and crap that real professionals are never going to use. You know what I mean? Give me real, you know, give me better video capability. Give me all. I, there's a hundred different things you could ask before I, I need to go, you know, and tack on another 20 megapixels. I mean, that's just, that's a larger image that I need to store somewhere. That's more hard drive space I'm going to use up. I mean, that when Nikon came up with the D800 and it was 36 point whatever megapixels, that was the first thing I thought was, wow, this is going to be an amazing landscape and portrait camera. Uh, but I hope you're not going to use it for weddings because 3,000 photos or even 2,000 photos at 36 megapixels, you're buying a new hard drive for every wedding. And I, I know actually a lot of photographers that just do that. You get a new external hard drive essentially for all your weddings. But yeah, I mean the point is it's you're going to use an insane amount – of hard drive space for these huge images. Um, now the 5DS, stepping back to that for just a quick second, uh, it looks like both of them feature sort of cropping modes where you can shoot as if it was a crop sensor at 1.3x and 1.6x. So you can take that 200 millimeter lens and convert it to whatever would be a 320 millimeter lens, which I guess is kind of cool. Uh, but again, is it worth it for those couple times that you really, really need it to have that burden of 50 megapixels everywhere else? And now I'm assuming that you're going to have um, the ability to shoot to lower megapixels. Um, and if so, then it's kind of a moot point. But it is ridiculous that the, the megapixels are what they're using to sell everything from phones to cameras because it's, it's such an under underwhelming aspect of what you need. Give me a thousand megapixels of absolute crap, you know, and, and, and it's worthless. Give me five high quality megapixels and I can make that work. And what's kind of sad is it's used a lot just to market a product. If you go to the average person or maybe the below average person who doesn't know much about tech or much about phones or cameras, and you say, this iPhone here has eight megapixels, but this one has double the megapixels at 16 which one are they going to buy? A lot of people will actually go for that other phone, which has 16 megapixels, just because it sounds bigger and it sounds better. When in reality, if you take a photo on both of them, sure, the iPhone photo is going to be a little bit smaller, but that depth of field, the contrast, the colors are going to be so much better. Yeah, so, but I guess moving on, um, there's a pretty cool new iOS photo editor called Darkroom. You can check it out, use darkroom.com. Uh, I believe it was a featured app or maybe still is a featured app in the iTunes store. It definitely, is. definitely looks like something worth checking out. It's free to download um, and they build it as a quick, powerful photo editor for the iOS and it features what they call raw editing tools, uh, editable filters. Um, you can, it has all your standard brightness, contrast, all of those kind of editing capabilities. You can save presets. If you know there's a specific way you edit your photos or get them started editing or whatever, you can save a photo out as a square. So you don't have to use these apps like Wittagram uh, and things like that to create these square photos, which is pretty awesome. Um, and again, it looks like it's free. Now you can add additional features like, uh, like a curves editor they have and they show, they have a video showing it looks like it's fairly easy to use, fairly intuitive to figure out. Um, and you need to pay about three bucks. It's two ninety nine um, to download the curves editor feature, uh, which again is what I'm assuming this raw editing tool is. Um, because I mean, like I'm sure you know, Howard, I don't know of a, a, a Samsung or Apple that shoots true raw photos. Um, 
Yeah, I'm not sure exactly what to think. The, the first time I heard about this darkroom application was last night when we were recording this podcast for the first time. And afterwards, I downloaded the application. I started to play around with it. And the basic adjustments like brightness, contrast, saturation, temperature, vignette, and sharpness, they're great. And they're stuff you can find on pretty much any other application. Right. And then you switch to the next tab. I actually have it here in front of me. The, they call it curves, which is basically a curves adjustment like you find in Photoshop. And they market it as raw RGB control for just $2.99, which brings us to the question, what do they mean by raw? Do they mean raw in the sense that you're editing a raw photo? Or do they mean, are they twisting that a little bit to say raw, red, green, and blue yeah. control? Yeah, So I'm, just... I'm not quite sure because I do know, I think, well, I think I know that some phones, maybe the iPhone, maybe Samsung, they kind of shoot TIFF photos and then they can, they, they're converted to JPEGs. But I don't think this application has access to those photos directly right. from the camera roll. It, it's just a marketing ploy. I, I, I don't think see so. how it's anything more than that. It's just, hey, look, it's curves. It looks complicated. Um, so therefore, uh, it's raw and it's special and, and we're going to stick out from Visco and Snapseed. Um, personally, I would say something like this would stick out because it, it looks a lot different. It's got a beautiful UI um, and you know, give me the temperature. I want tint control. That's the that's the only reason I even use Visco's editor. Not because of presets, not because of anything like that. I like the fact that I can infuse a photo with either magenta or green. If Snapseed had that feature, I don't know if I would ever use Visco's editor um, because I'm just not much of a. I, I love looking at the hipster style, explorer style, whatever you want to call it. Photos, you know, with the washed out, low contrasty look, and and occasionally I'll shoot something like that. Um, but not at all is it something where every single photo going up is going to have this blown out sky and, you know, low contrast on the, on the shadow end of things. Um, so yeah, darkroom, definitely something to check out. You can, it's free to download. You can download it, check it out and, uh, start using it today. Well, if you're looking for tint, I think you should step out of the dark room and step into the light room. <laughs> How's that for a segue? Um, actually, Lightroom, when you mentioned Darkroom, you reminded me that Lightroom, Adobe's Lightroom, is available on the iPhone and iPad, and I believe it's available now on Android. And it does have all those features that you're looking for, tint and brightness, contrast, gotcha. yeah, pretty I've much never, everything. Yeah, I've never used the Lightroom app. I, I tried to get into the Photoshop and, and Adobe Touch apps and just used them for like a month or two back in 2011 or 12 or whenever they first came out and just, you know, give me something that works and then, yeah. I'll, then I'll consider using it. Yeah, a lot of those apps I, I use, like you said, once or twice. I use Adobe Color, Adobe Sketch or whatever it's called and they're fun and I would use them maybe once in a while, but not every day. But Lightroom, I've used on my iPad, I've used on my iPhone, and it is a full-fledged photo editing application that syncs with your computer. You can just kind of pick up where you go. And of course, I don't believe it does raw editing, but it's as close as you're going to get. You have all the same right. features that you have, and you can edit smart previews on Lightroom on your iPhone or iPad that sync back to your computer. So if you've started a, an edit on your computer using a raw photo, it saves one of those smart previews to your cloud if you are a Creative Cloud member, and you can edit it on your iPad, and that is a raw edit. Gotcha, okay. Yeah, so that brings us to the end of the geek and design photo news segment of the show, uh, and we're gonna move on to questions 
basically we put out on Twitter and Facebook, we're looking for questions for the show and we're going to continue doing it every week, looking for questions from you guys, you know, anything you want us to talk about, anything you're interested in hearing about, whether or not it's design, tech or photo related or business related, really anything you have questions about, we'll go through and pick out the best, you know, four to five questions, whatever we can get to, um, and attempt to answer them. So we'll kick off this week with Tammy from Washington, DC, who asks a pretty simple question, Canon or Nikon and why? Well, well, before I, I answer this, if you do want to submit questions, you can submit them to any of us. I'm Iceflow Studios on Twitter. Nathaniel is at Tutvid. And just use the hashtag WeGeeks or WeGeeksPodcast, yes. and we'll definitely be seeing hashtag, that. Hashtag WeGeeks, and we'll, you know, we'll be on top of it, and we'll see all your questions. Yep. Exactly. Sure. So, Canon or Nikon, for me, the answer is very simple. I started with a Canon back when I was 18, so actually, it's going to be 10 years now. And... I've just been, you know, acquiring lenses over time, upgrading my bodies. But what's really interesting about this whole Canon versus Nikon debate is it's not necessarily one is better than the other because it comes down to personal preference. But I have invested so much money in my Canon lenses. I'm just looking over here on my shelf and I must have, you know, $7,000 worth of lenses, even though the body of my camera is only maybe $1,500 because the lenses are what's going to make your photo. That, that glass, that beautiful L glass or whatever it is. I'm not much of a photographer, but those are the things you really want to invest in. You can easily buy a Canon T5i or whatever they are. And I think they just came up with a T6i, which is a fairly cheap body. But if you buy a nice lens, it's going to improve your photos tremendously. So switching over to another uh, camera like a Nikon or a Sony or a Fuji or whatever it might be, it's just not feasible for me. So Canon for me. Yeah. I mean, when it comes to Canon and Nikon, it's pretty simple. I'll keep this short and sweet. Uh, If you're doing portrait or landscape photography, I would say Canon. Well, landscape is a little bit of a toss up between the two. Nikon does have amazing dynamic range. Uh, If you're shooting weddings, go with Nikon. Nikon's a little bit more comfortable to hold, has better the pattern. The way a, a Nikon sensor creates noise and grain is much more film, much more organic looking, whereas Canon's tends to be a little bit more digital looking. Um, and, it, and it focuses and works better in low light than a Canon does. So weddings and events, concerts, Nikon, uh, portraits and landscape, commercial style work, I'm going with Canon all day long. Uh, why? Oh, I just told you why. I, I prefer the Canon for, well, I guess the Canon I prefer because of sharpness and I like the color that a Canon outputs. Uh, Nikon, I like the dynamic range and I like the low light capability, specifically the noise uh, and the focusing. And then take all the rest of your money and buy the best lenses you can or buy one really great lens. Don't try to build an arsenal of cheap, junky uh, lenses get one great lens. Yeah, so. and to quickly add to that, it traditionally it used to be Canon versus Nikon, but recently Sony and some other companies have come out with some amazing mirrorless cameras, which is a whole new ball game. I recently used the Sony A7S, I believe, and that is an amazing mirrorless camera. The whole mirrorless world is it's kind of like where 4K is. It's kind of in between good and great. I mean, well, like normal, it, whatever it is. Yeah, but it's growing quickly. It's growing quickly. That's what I want to say. Um, but those don't discount those cameras. If you can, get your hands on them and use them in low light. Use them for whatever you think you're going to be using them for, whether it's portraits or weddings or whatever it might be. You can rent them from lens rentals from pretty cheap. And, you know, so if it's not Canon, if it's not Nikon, maybe it's Sony, maybe it's Fuji, I don't know. All right, and with that, we'll move on to our next question from Scott 
from Thunder Bay, Ontario, fellow Canadian. Woo. Um, I've been recently approached for freelance work, but due to limited budget, the company promises, quote, promotion, unquote. What should I do? Uh, well, you I'm shouldn't gonna, do it. You, you, well, that's the short answer. I'm going to take this because I, I'll take this first because I have run into this. So, and, and you probably have too, Nathaniel. Yeah. But I was approached recently, actually, by a company who wanted me to create a bunch of content and they said, oh, you know, we don't have much of a budget, but we're going to promote your stuff. We're going to put you on our blog. We're going to shoot you out to our email list. We're going to promote you on Twitter and Facebook and this and that. And I've been in this situation so many times that have stupidly said, oh, that sounds great. I'm going to get so much traffic and so many sales. And then the time comes, they start promoting my stuff. And it's they send like one tweet. They kind of hide it in the blog. And I get maybe, maybe two customers that really don't convert to anything. So... The short answer to that long answer is no. Yeah, I mean, unless uh, things like guest blogging and writing and putting yourself out there like that absolutely are worth it from a personal promotion standpoint, from a search engine optimization standpoint, things like that. But unless it's like the Oprah show or something like that and you have a system in place so you can convert those sales quickly, you're just going to end up, you know, essentially, if you're bored and you have nothing to do with your time, then sure. But remember, you're going to be creating something for a client who's going to be demanding stuff of you. So it's better to charge money and get money from the client. And if you think that just because you're doing work on the cheap or doing it for free, they're going to be a great client to work for, um, uh, you're probably blowing smoke up your skirt a little bit because sometimes those clients are the most difficult to work for because they, you sort of begin the relationship with, with them not even valuing what you bring to the table, not valuing your work, and you're not really valuing your work. Take that time you know, that, that you've got and go start posting on Craigslist. Uh, create an AdWords, a Google AdWords campaign. Spend 20 bucks or 40 bucks a month. It's like a, a subscription to a, a game service online or, or, or almost any kind of anything online, you know, 20, 30, 40 bucks a month in advertising, start driving traffic toward your website. Uh, then, you know, go out to local stores and shops and, you know, promote, you, know, you, don't, you don't need to worry about logo design maybe because that's a big thing for a company to change logo, but maybe, hey, let me update your menus. Let me update that brochure mailer that you have. I got this piece of mail and, you know, let me do a free design or for 50 bucks, I guess, really for 50 bucks, I'll redesign or for a hundred bucks, I'll redo this or redo that. And that way you can build your portfolio with real clients, you're making a little bit of money, you're still gaining that experience, and you're still getting yourself out there. Um, companies that promise promotion over money are typically doing that because things the wheels are coming off the bus. And if the wheels are coming off the bus, people aren't sticking around to look at your stuff anyway. So you're going to end up putting yourself out there uh, for something that's not going to turn into much of anything. Yeah, and if you're struggling for work and you really want to start building up your portfolio, there are websites out there like 99designs, which I have used, that allows companies to post listings that they want a logo for their company or a website or an app design or they have a ton of things like shirt designs. And it's basically a massive competition where graphic designers and artists can enter to become the top logo for that company. And that company can go through and pick which logo they want and they will pay. And a lot of those payments are guaranteed. So they send the money to 99designs before the contest even starts. So you know you're going to get paid. And from a personal standpoint, I have won a few of those. And one of them at least, the company did come back to me again later on directly and said, listen, I loved what you did for us previously in the contest. 
let me come to you directly and let's just do something else. Let me pay you for this and that and this. So you're building up a relationship. And even if you enter 10 contests and you only win one of them, well, use those other nine designs in your portfolio and you're getting paid for that other one. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, it's, you're walking a, a tenuous tightrope when you start taking work for free for promotion. And I remember when I began, when I'd hear people talk like this, I would think, oh, you know, you're just all about the money or you don't understand. It's okay to do this. Um, and again, if you want to do it, go out and do it. Um, but keep your eyes open and be smart about it and uh, just sort of be careful. Like it can be great, but almost always it ends really badly. So unless it's an amazing opportunity with a huge blog um, and they, they really have promotion of value to offer you and you have something that's worth being promoted, um, then go ahead, I would say, and do that. But still, I would write some sort of contract saying, hey, this is the bit of work I'm doing. Here's the promotion that you're going to give me. Um, just so everybody knows. At the very least, everybody knows what everybody's getting. You know what you're getting. They know what they're getting. You know what you need to do. They they know what they need to do. So that's or, it. Or if they offer pizza. Right, or pizza. Pizza I would take always pizza works as well. over money. So... <laughs> Moving on from pizza, we got a question here from Jack from Livonia, Michigan. I'm still running Photoshop CS6. Should I bother upgrading to the Creative Cloud? Howard? Uh, what do you think? Would you upgrade to the Creative Cloud? We've covered this in the past, and it's... At, it's, at it's nauseum. A very, yeah, very. Uh, it's a very controversial subject. It's not as controversial as it was before. So here's my thoughts. I don't want to run too deep into this, but... If you were to ask this question a year ago or two years ago, whenever the Creative Cloud first came out, my answer would be, if you're running CS6 and you're happy with CS6 and it does everything that you need, then no. Because at the time, the Creative Cloud, I believe, was like $50. I think there was a promotion. You can get it for $30 a month or something like that. But since that time and since customers have spoken up, Adobe hasn't backed off on their subscription model, which some people like, some people absolutely hate. But what they have done is they've tried to make it a little bit more affordable and worth the money. So now you can get Photoshop and Lightroom for $10 a month forever. It's not a promotional price. You can just pay $10 a month, you get Photoshop and Lightroom. But with that, you get ongoing updates. And at the beginning, we weren't exactly sure how many updates this would come with, or we weren't sure what was going to come with these updates, but Adobe has released a lot of new features in the last few years, specifically for Creative Cloud members. And if you compare that to what the updates were from like, let's say Photoshop CS4 to 5 or 5 to 6, they've released a ton of updates that honestly, I'm very happy with paying $10. Oh, actually, disclaimer, I don't pay for my Creative Cloud because Adobe does provide it to me for free. But if I were paying for it, I'd be very happy with what they're providing. Yeah, I mean, if you're happy with CS6, stick with CS6 because you're not paying anything. You've paid for it um, and you don't have to worry about a monthly bill. So that, I mean, that's pretty easy right there. If you're interested in Creative Cloud and you have, I think it's anything newer than, correct me if I'm wrong, Howard, CS4 uh, or CS5, I can't remember. You actually get a discounted rate for just upgrading from an older version or a, a somewhat current version of Photoshop to the newest version of Photoshop uh, per month. And I think it's for 12 months you get this discounted rate, whatever that is, I can't remember. Um, 
so if you're interested in having the newest and the latest and greatest version of Photoshop, um, I say go for it. But if you're happy with CS6, stick with CS6. It's that simple. Yeah. Um, next question is from Eric from Hamsterly, I think. United Kingdom. This is a bit of a silly one, but he says, please tell me this podcast is going to last more than five episodes. I guess he's referring to our previous attempts at a podcast. The short answer is, I really hope so. We do have more time in our hands, like we mentioned previously, and we really want to make this one successful. I think we nailed down the format. We've nailed down the content. We've learned from our mistakes in the past, and really the mistakes weren't really mistakes. They were just we kind of got caught up with other things in our life. But a little bit of a plug for us. If you do want to make sure that this podcast is successful, does continue, maybe you even want more content, we are on Patreon, patreon.com slash wegeeks. So you guys can donate $1 a month or $5 a month or whatever. And just, you know, it puts a little bit of money in our pocket and it allows us to make these podcasts every single week. If we hit a certain goal, we'll go two times a week. So, if you want to make sure that the podcast keeps going, that's one way you can help out. Yeah. So will the podcast last more than five episodes? Yes. We're <laughs> I we're hope so. We're shooting for 70. And if we get to 70, we've got to keep going. Unless so I that. kick the bucket. When in that case, I'll let you take over my Facebook account. There. Deal. Sounds great. <laughs> uh, so then our last question for the day uh, is for Ricardo from Twitter asks, what are your thoughts on Affinity Photo Editor? And is this a Photoshop killer, which is sort of the big question of the day. And I, Howard, again, it goes back to you. You used it. You tried it out. What were your initial impressions? How did it run? Was it smooth? Was it fast? Uh, I, real quick, before I let you answer, I did see on their website, uh, I think it was on their website, maybe it was somebody else on Twitter who had mentioned it has to be faster because they're not using this old architecture that Adobe is built on. Uh, it's it's sort of a fresh build, if you will. You know, it's much more modern. It's going to be faster. It's going to be more expandable, more modular, whatever it is. Um, what did you think about it? Did you like it? Did it have features? Uh, let's tell the people a little bit about your experience with it. All right. Now, this this is a weird question to answer because I've done a lot of work for Adobe. I'm friends with a lot of Adobe employees. They've taken me out to dinner and I love their software. So this is weird. But I do think that Affinity Photo has a lot of potential to move the market. Now, let me explain a little bit. So Affinity Photo, if you're not familiar, it's quote unquote, I'm not saying this, but a lot of, a lot of people are saying this, a Photoshop killer because it has a lot of comparable features. Right now, it's only available on the Mac. They did confirm that a Windows version is coming, but they do want to nail down the Mac version first because I believe that's their target market. And then they'll focus on a Windows version. Now, in terms of features, oh yeah, by the way, it's $50. It's right. not $50 a month. That it's not $10 a month. It's $50. And you know who knows if they're going to, I'm sure they're going to release paid updates at some point. Yeah, which is a big thing because if it's 50 bucks and it's one payment, from here on out, if I download the software and it's great, every time somebody says, hey, is there a cheaper alternative to Photoshop? Yeah, Affinity Photo. Yeah. You got to go and check it out. to create video tutorials on Affinity Photo. But going back to the question, is this a Photoshop killer? To an extent, it can be. But I wouldn't say it's a killer. I would say it's a replacement. I'm very careful about that because... Playing around with Affinity Photo, taking a look at the support articles, taking a look at the tutorials that are available, in order for it to kill Photoshop, it has to beat Photoshop. 
Yeah. And it doesn't. Just like Pixelmator, just like GIMP, it has nothing new to add to the table other than the better architecture, like you said. It definitely is faster. The interface is a little bit cleaner. But, you know, Photoshop has all these magical algorithms and, and features that Affinity Photo and Pixelmator have simply copied. Yeah, but I mean, here's, here's – not to interrupt you, but I'm going to interrupt you. Uh, part of the issue is going to be, let's say something happens and I get frustrated with Photoshop on, or because of a job or because of some lack of technical support or what have you, and I say, I'm done. I'm going to Affinity Photo. I'm out, Adobe. You lost me. Um, when, Affinity, when Affinity Photo first fails me, and every application is eventually going to fail you, when Affinity Photo first fails me, that's going to be when I say, you know what, I got to go back to the tried and true, trusted, the thing that I grew up with, if you will, uh, Photoshop. And whether or not that's just me being part of the, the old guard now. I mean, if Affinity Photo catches on and all the college kids are using it, it's the hot new thing, um, then hey, you know, it's, it is what it is and, and it's going to be a, a huge thing moving forward. I think it looks fantastic from the outside looking at it. It looks great, and I would love for Photoshop to have some real competition in the marketplace. I think part of the problem is Photoshop's brand is so strong, and I mean, it's it's a it's a pop culture term at this point. You know, you don't say I'm going to go affinity that photo. You say, oh, they <laughs> or they 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 affinityed her photo. No, no, they photoshopped her photo. There's campaigns against photoshopping as if it's a verb. It's like Facebook friending. It was never, you know, 25 years ago, it was never a thing. It was never a term. You would have said Photoshopping and somebody would have said, wait, you're buying pictures? It was never It was never a thing that you did in front of your computer or anything. So Photoshop's created this entire animal, if you will, uh, and that's what Affinity has to tackle. But it's a pretty formidable little package um, and you've got to be an upstart before you're the king, right? So uh, could it be a Photoshop killer? It could be. It could they, be. And they they have to manage it correctly. Making all the right moves. They're they have a ton of press over the last few days. All the big tech websites are highlighting Affinity Photo and calling it the Photoshop killer. You know, at the moment it's still in beta, so things are gonna change. There are a lot of bugs that I ran into. Little things that it sounds silly, but I was in the refine dialog box, which is kind of like refine edge in Photoshop, and I tried to increase my brush size using the right square bracket key. And it wouldn't work. I had to click on the the width slider and slide it to the right. It's little things like that that Affinity Photo can fix that would stop me from going back to Photoshop. Which, again, it sounds crazy that I would go back to Photoshop for a stupid thing like increasing my brush size within the Refine dialog box. But the user experience is going to be so important when Affinity is developing this application from, you know, 1.0 all the way into the future. Yeah, I mean, you know what they've done that's really impressive? Well, real quick, it, Affinity has to, like you said before, it can't just be Photoshop, Photoshop's you know weird second cousin. It has to be Photoshop's weird second cousin who's also an NFL player. You know, it has to be amazingly better than Photoshop, I think, before you're going to see the masses flock over. Affinity is going to have to sort of wage this war of attrition for a little while where they're sort of trying to get the students and the young people who haven't really been indoctrinated into the Photoshop ranks yet to say, hey, there's this other product out here that is better, in our opinion, than Photoshop. 
and start them using it. Because if you start people on, they're probably gonna stick with it just like you and I feel this familiarity and comfort with Photoshop, right? Hotkeys, you just talked about hotkeys, uh, things like that, uh, which are gonna make it a little bit more difficult to go to Affinity. But if you go to Affinity's site, and again, that's affinity.serif.com, and there's a banner over on the right, at least at the time I was recording this, there's a banner over on the right for Affinity Photo. If you check it out, they have a little trailer. And one of the things that you're going to notice when you look at it is there's a striking resemblance to the Photoshop UI from sizing to color to brightness to the way the panels work, everything like that, which I think was in incredibly smart because somebody like you or I, like I, I've never even considered any of these other programs because they don't feel like Photoshop. They don't feel like what I'm familiar with. They don't feel like success to me. Photoshop to me feels like success. I know I've had success with it. I know that I can do what I need to do with it. Affinity looks like it's going to feel like success. Well, let me add to that a little bit. There's a few yes and no's. Um, the yes is it does look very similar to Photoshop. I was able to open Affinity for the first time. I was able to play with it and I knew exactly where I should go. I went to the left to the tools bar or whatever Affinity calls it and I knew exactly which tools I needed. Now on the no side or kind of the, eh, I don't know what's gonna happen side, I believe Justin Seeley pointed out on Twitter that a lot, some of the features within Affinity are very, very similarly named to the features in Photoshop, which could potentially cause some legal action. I don't know what Adobe has trademarked or copywritten. I don't know what that is. Which, but which, is a, which is a bunch of BS, if you ask me, because it's like, make a better product. You know what I mean? If Affinity's right. going to make a better product, let them call it what they want to call it. If Affinity's better, you know, we should be wanting to use it, at least as far as I'm concerned, in my mind. Right. I don't think Adobe should be suing them. They should be focusing right. their time and money on but they creating will. better features. Right. I know what now, you're saying. They will, the others, they, they will sue, though. Oh, I'm sure they will. But on the other side, there are things that are missing. For example, if I make a new document, I'm in Affinity right now. If I want to change the image size of this document, in Photoshop, I would go up to the image menu, but there isn't even an image menu in Affinity, which is kind of weird. And if okay. I press Command-I, that doesn't work, or Command-Shift-I, that doesn't work either. So there's a lot of little things that Affinity Photo is missing that will incredibly frustrate someone switching over or trying to switch over from Photoshop that I'm sure they'll, maybe they're listening to the podcast, hey, Affinity, hey. Um, I'm sure they'll fix, I'm sure they'll think of, but yeah, it's the little things that will make or break someone's experience. Yeah, right, because those are the things that are gonna dictate whether or not you're gonna stick with them. Now, uh, it, it does boast PSD support, so you should be able to import your PSDs to Affinity. I don't know if you've tried that, Howard. I don't know You know what, how, I have not, but I'm gonna well try it, works, it right now, it dragging a photo into Affinity. And also, they claim, uh, yes, it does boast, P one of my layers did disappear, but I'm sure it's somewhere. Oh, here it is, hi. Um, yep, it does boast PSD support, and they do claim and I don't use Photoshop plugins, but they do claim you can use Photoshop plugins in Affinity, which is very interesting because a lot of people are asking about that. Now, I'm sure plugin makers might have to tweak their plugin, but the fact that Affinity allows you and supports Photoshop plugins, that's that could be huge. 
Yeah. And I'm just I'm just looking at the trailer here again. And there's an amazing little sequence where they're doing like a Salvador Dali clock melting on the step, the stone step, and they're using their liquefy tool. And it looks so fast and so oh, it smooth. Is. It and is. whether or not that's just, hey, we're recording this at 60 frames per second, speeding it up a little bit, camera trick kind of thing. But you guys have to go check out this this little trailer. Again, affinity.serif.com slash photo actually I think brings you here. Um, and it's it's a pretty incredible little sequence. Um, just, you know, bending this, bending and liquefying this little, uh, this little stopwatch here on the step and, you know, melting it over the edge and just the fastness, the smoothness that it looks like it has is remarkable. Yeah. Like you mentioned, the architecture is completely different. It's completely new. So things are faster. Even when I was doing something like content aware, or I don't remember what affinity calls it, but it's, it's definitely noticeably faster than it is in Photoshop. Right. They probably call it like affinity with your content. Uh, something like that. I don't know. <laughs> So yeah, so I mean, what's the verdict? I, I haven't used Affinity, um, but you've obviously used it. You've tried it out. You've test driven it. You did the tutorial on it. Um, mm -hmm. What what would your recommendation be? Give it a shot. Fifty bucks. Download the beta. See what you think. What? Oh, totally. If you can download the beta before it, it's released, which I believe is soon, go for it. it again, only available on the Mac. Um, try it out, and even for fifty bucks, I would say if it was only available to purchase right now. I would say if you're looking for a cheaper alternative to Photoshop that has a lot of potential, and this one definitely has potential. I've used Pixelmator, I've used GIMP, and this is above both of them. I, I think it's gonna give Photoshop a run for its money. I don't really think Adobe's gonna see any sort of a, a dent in their business because of Affinity, at least not in the next few years. But I know for me, I'm because there's a demand for it, I'm gonna be creating more video tutorials for affinity and uh you know if a few people switch over then you know they switch over well so there's that there is that and that will most likely do it for this episode or the first episode of we geeks i do want to very quickly thank our first sponsor for this episode our podcast squarespace which actually i use squarespace to build our website wegeekspodcast.com and you know what, it was, I was hesitant about Squarespace because I, I've used it in the past here and there, but nothing for a major website. And it, it was actually quite refreshing. I've seen their Super Bowl commercial. I'm like, they, they're spending a ton of money. Their service must be kind of good. But yeah. you know, I, I did give it a try for this website. And we, we put this together, well, I put it together super quickly because our podcast unraveled so fast. But go over to, we geekspodcast.com check that out actually right now as i'm recording it's just a landing page but when the actual podcast is available you'll be able to browse the whole website and what's nice about squarespace is it's eight dollars a month which is pretty yeah. fantastic it's, it's so easy to set up it's so i've set up so many websites on squarespace now i can't even remember them all e-commerce stores it's so simple to set it up uh, family members who are are, are incredibly tech illiterate uh, are able to go in and work on this stuff and set it up. I've even had some clients where I've just set it up for them um, because they need something that's fast and easy and, and inexpensive and they need to be able to go in and make changes themselves and edit things themselves and uh, it's, it's, it's a great thing Squarespace has going on. It's a really remarkable uh, setup and yeah, definitely head over to Squarespace and check out what they've got to offer. Yeah, and it's all responsive, which is really cool. So if you're viewing our website on mobile, 
which I, I recommend you do. Everything's respond. I didn't have to do anything additional to make that responsive. It just was. And yep. if I did run into a problem, which I haven't yet, but if I did, they have 24-7 support based in New York. Live chat, email, all that fun stuff. So it's it was just all in all, this is a great experience. And if you do go to Squarespace, you can use the coupon code WEGEEKS. You get 10% off your your purchase and you can do a free trial with zero credit card, which is rare these days. So, you know, give it a shot and thank you Squarespace for sponsoring this episode. Hopefully this allows us to keep doing more. And um, yes, yeah, Squarespace, you rock. So you rock <laughs> that that yeah that sort of wraps up the first episode that's and and there'll be another one coming next week again it's every Friday hit us with questions at Iceflow Studios for Howard at Tutvid for myself uh, Friday uh, around probably three o'clock in the afternoon let's say we'll be putting one of the three o'clock in the afternoon Eastern Standard Time uh, we'll be putting out our new podcast subscribe iTunes SoundCloud subscribe via email. Uh, and just keep up with it. And there's going to be lots of uh, great, exciting, fun stuff to come. And, uh, yeah, hang out with yeah. us, guys. Ask us questions and and uh, listen along. Yeah, and make sure to subscribe on SoundCloud. iTunes will probably be ready very shortly. Or you can subscribe via email. We have a form on the website. But, yeah, we're going to be all over the place. Again, Twitter, Facebook, all that fun stuff. So, And, and if you have suggestions, if you didn't like a segment or if you didn't like the way we talk or if you don't like the sponsors or whatever it might be feel free to let us know because we definitely want to make this as good as possible and we will change if something's wrong send all complaints to at iceflow studios on twitter <laughs> and i'll forward them to at tutvid all right that's it for this one guys all right thanks guys we'll see you next time